I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus tonight. Can't do with it and can't do without it. I believe it's on. I do want to make mention, first of all, thank you preachers for coming tonight. And then all the rest of you regular people, too. I appreciate you coming as well. <clears throat> thank you, fellas, for coming. God bless you. I know most of you, if not all of you, love you and appreciate you. As a matter of fact, three of the pastors sitting here tonight, they and their churches support Joni and I. And we remain ever grateful for your support. Just knowing that while we're out there on the road that you're praying for us is a tremendous encouragement. <clears throat> and so thank you so very much. Thank you, Charity, for your hospitality today. The fellowship has been sweet. The meals have been wonderful. And, uh, and of course, the, the, the prophet's chamber back here has been a blessing. I've enjoyed sharing it with Brother Sarah Polly. Just talking to him and learning more about him and his work has been a blessing to me. And thank you, Brother Kevin, for the invite. I appreciate it so much. Love you and appreciate you and admire you and respect you, brother. And, uh, and I'm grateful for what God has done in this church for the sake of world evangelization. I'm grateful and I'm thankful. We do appreciate your support every month. I, as I said this morning, our... Every week our mission secretary comes into the office and uh, she takes all the checks that come in. There's four missionaries out of our church, myself, Brother David Cook in Canada, Brother Joseph Oberman and his son Mark in the country of Slovakia and Eastern Europe. And uh, she takes those checks and she divides it out, uh, the ones that are written to us accordingly, and she banks it for us. And uh, she sends us a spreadsheet, and I look at that spreadsheet every week, and I see the names of churches that I've been in. I see the names of individuals and people, and I find myself constantly humbled and overwhelmed uh, what God has done and is doing through you. And I want you to know I appreciate you and thank the Lord for you. Whatever fruit we see, according to what Paul said in Philippians 4, it is fruit that abounds to your account. May the Lord bless you tonight. Well, we just returned from Puerto Rico last week, had a good uh, meeting, and as a matter of fact, I was really encouraged. I've been in this church, this is the third time now I've been in this church, and I go there to visit and fellowship with and encourage Brother Caleb Gutierrez. Caleb is a missionary there in the city of Fajardo. It's on that upper northeast side, and he's been working with this brother, Brother Rosendo Arvisu in uh, the town of Sieba, Sieba, Puerto Rico. He's been working in that town. It's a self-sustaining church. It's an indigenous church. And this year they had a missions conference. And that blessed my heart. It, it, what it means is they're lifting their heads and looking out on the fields. And what it means is, is that as far as doing what we can to get the gospel around the world, it's not dependent upon our size, our culture, our country, or our income. It's dependent upon faith and obedience. And boy, I was really encouraged. I preached four nights there, well, all day Sunday and two other nights. And I was really encouraged by the way the people received the messages. And then I took this missionary out. We went on a little survey trip around the island. What a beautiful island Puerto Rico is. As we drove around, we came across towns like Humacao, 
and uh, Cayuga, towns of 20, 25,000 people, not one church, not one Bible, not one preacher, uh, except for false religions, false religions that give no hope. And uh, this young man has been in the country for four years. He's been learning the culture. He's been learning the language. If you're going to go to a country that speaks another language, you have to learn that language. If you don't learn that language, you'll have very little hope of reaching those people. It's, part, it's not just speaking where they can understand, but it's connecting with them. And uh, he's, he's ready. He's ready. He's gotten to where he can hear the language. And he's, he's ready to go out. And so we went and looked at some towns. And I have great hope for the future of this young man's ministry. And great hope for the island of Puerto Rico as far as the churches that are being built there. And then I was pleased to see the film tonight uh, by Brother Shane Andrews. Uh, I have gotten to know Brother uh, Kent LeBeau. Brother Kent is blind. He has a brother named Kurt LeBeau who wrote the song, Give Him the Glory, if you've ever heard that song. And Brother Joe Arthur told me the background behind that song. Kurt and Brother Joe were in a meeting, and uh, all these preachers were patting each other on the back for all their accomplishments. And Brother Joe looked over at Brother Kurt and said, Brother Kurt, what do you think about that? He said, well, I think somebody ought to give God the glory. And he went back that night. And he wrote that song that all of us have heard and been blessed by. Well, his brother is Kent, the gentleman you saw in one of the pictures. They're both blind. Neither one of them are blind, but they don't use that as an excuse. And Brother Kent does not live in Turkey like Brother Andrews was talking about. But he makes constant trips there. He is working with the Farsi-speaking people. Farsi is the language that the Iranians speak. It is the form of Arabic that they speak in the country of Iran. You may not know this, but per capita, the fastest growing church in the world tonight is in the country of Iran. When I contemplate that, I'm reminded of Paul's words and how he talked about his bonds. And he said, these bonds are for the furtherance of the gospel. But even though I'm bound, he said, the word of God is not bound. And I'm telling you, folk, among Islamic countries tonight, there's a great movement of God going on amongst the young people. They're fed up with Islam. They know that it offers no hope. They have an ear for the gospel. The iron is hot, and we must strike. To that end, Brother Ken has invited me to go with him in February. He's asked me to set aside, block the days off for the first 15 days of February. And uh, there is a large contingent, as you heard, of Iranian people, Farsi-speaking people that have fled Iran, Iran because of persecution, religious persecution. Turkey has opened the door and taken them in. Uh, Turkey is an Islamic nation, but not as radical as Iran. There are preachers there. There are men that have been saved, that have surrendered to preach, that Brother Kent and Brother Andrews and others have worked with. You saw the Arabic doctrinal book, very much needed, very much needed. People are being saved. There are churches started. One of the church churches that we will be preaching in 
We're going to preach in churches. We're going to work with leaders, pastors, for about two weeks. One of the churches we'll be preaching in is the Colossae Baptist Church. Colossae. That sounds familiar. <laughs> Colossae. Well, that area over there is known in the Bible as Asia Minor. And the seven churches of Asia Minor that John wrote to in the book of Revelation were all located in that general locale of Turkey. As a matter of fact, where we're going to be working is right next door to the town of old ancient town of Laodicea. And while we're there, we're going to, because we cannot go in as missionaries, we cannot go in as missionary workers, religious workers, we have to go in as tourists. And so while we're there, we will do some tourist things to justify our visa. That's only wisdom. So I would co covet your prayers uh, for that trip. I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. Wherever God is and whatever he's doing, I want to have a part. I want to have a part. And Lord willing, Brother Zach LaRue has, uh, has, uh, has uh, mentioned interest in going with us. And I'm looking so forward to going. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there's a large contention of Iranians in the city of Houston. And Brother Kurt LeBeau came to Houston and flew in an Iranian preacher from up north, up in the northeast, and, uh, and advertised. But these Iranians are so scared, they're so afraid of the populace, even here in America because there's so many Muslims even here in America that they might be pointed out and identified. Attention might be drawn to them. None of them came. None of them came to the meeting. The meeting consisted of Brother Kurt, some American preachers, and this Iranian preacher. But they looked on Facebook Live, and there were over 1,500 hits from Farsi-speaking people in the city of Houston. So for three nights, over 1,500 Farsi-speaking people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ on the south side of the city of Houston. So I'm excited about it. It's just another door of opportunity, and I would certainly covet your prayers in that behalf. Pray for Puerto Rico. Pray for Puerto Rico. It's, it's, uh, it's a wide open field. It's an American territory. When you go there, you almost feel like you're in America. And yet, it's obvious that you're not for various reasons. My wife was with me on that trip, and she said, why, this being an American territory, why is it so dirty? Why is it so, so backward? I said, Joni, where there's no gospel, there's no decency. Where there's no gospel, there's no cleanliness. The thing that sets America apart from everything else is not its financial capacity. What sets America apart from all other nations is the gospel of Jesus Christ and our nation has been what it has been because of the gospel things are changing this world is rolling down like a snowball down a hill on a collision course with the coming of Jesus Christ if you're not saved I trust you would contemplate your condition tonight because it won't be long before the church is going to leave out of here I believe that with all of my heart. And if you think it's bad now, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, the only restraining influence is the church. And when the church leaves out of here, I would not want to be here. I'm glad I'm not going to be here. <laughs> but until then,
my heart will go on singing. Until then, with joy, I'll carry on. Until the day mine eyes behold that city. Until the day Jesus comes. This coming year, I will be going to Africa. Brother James Pridgen in the country of Uganda. There are numerous open doors, probably. The one country where they're seeing more response to the gospel than any other country right now is the country of Africa. Anywhere where there's great persecution, there's great response going on. I wonder if that's what it's going to take in America. And if that is, it may not be very far off. Persecution is coming. Matter of fact, folks, If this election does not go the way I'd like to see it go, and it probably won't, you can call me a pessimist if you want to. I believe we're that far down the prophetic line. If it doesn't, the liberals and the left will know that it has total control. And when they do, there's no end to which they will not go. Once this digital currency kicks in, it's over. It's over. And what you're looking at in this country is the great prospect of persecution upon the church. John saw this in the book of Revelation. And you know what he said? Even so come. Lord Jesus, we read in the back room this morning, the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. There's two people that chapter describes, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. Antichrist rose out of the nations, He's a, of the sea, he's a Gentile. More than likely, the false prophet will be a Jew. That's what will cause him, to, if possible, to deceive the very elect, speaking of the nation of Israel. And they're going to come on the scene, and we know for 42 months, three and a half years, it's going to seem like the answer. But in the middle of the week, that chapter said this morning, he'll walk in the tabernacle or the temple and blaspheme God. When he does... Judgment's going to break out on this earth like this earth has never seen. Folks, this thing is winding down. If you're not saved tonight, don't play with your soul. Don't gamble your soul. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that's the time to respond. You can't come to him on your own. He must draw you. He must speak to you, and I trust you listen well tonight. The book of John, John's Gospel, chapter number 6. Now, this morning, dearly beloved, we preached out of the parables of Matthew chapter 13, focusing on one parable. And what we told you is that that chapter magnifies and brings out Jesus is giving his disciples the truth of the church that is to come. And he takes them to chapter 16, and he gives them the keys to the car. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, and I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm giving you leadership and authority to what I told you in chapter 13. And chapter 13 covers the events that will take place between his first coming and his second coming. None of the pro- all of the prophets saw his first coming and his second coming. They prophesied that. None of them saw the church. None of them. That's why I cannot embrace this replacement theology. I don't believe Israel is the church, and I don't believe the church is Israel. I believe they're two different entities. 
And so we focus this morning on the focus or the function of the church. And what did we tell you? That's world evangelization. That's missions. Evangelism. We told you about the four components of evangelism. We told you about the sower. That's us. The seed. That's the word of God. The soil. That's men's hearts, men's souls. And the substance. That's the fruit that comes forth when that seed falls on good ground. What are we here for? We're here to sow the seed in the soil of the hearts of men that some might believe. Not everybody that hears the gospel. Matter of fact, more people that hear the gospel aren't going to be saved than are going to be saved. I don't know so much about what you hear at a lot of funerals. You would think when you go to the normal funeral, everybody's going to heaven. Sad to tell you, that's not true. According to what Jesus said, few are going to heaven, but many will go in the Broadway. Many will go in the Broadway. We're not trying to be a success. We're trying to be faithful. We're just simply trying to scatter the seed upon the soil of men's hearts, whether it's in Turkey or Pontotoc County, hoping that that seed will find good soil because when it does, it's going to bring forth fruit. So tonight, dearly beloved, I want to take you to another aspect of missions. Normally when I speak here, I usually speak on giving at some point or another. Our pastor is going to do that next Sunday, and he's the pastor of this church. I'm not going to cross that line whatsoever. Uh, this morning, I gave you basically the foundation for mission, the foundation for missions. And tonight, I really want to give you the heart of missions. John chapter 6, I'm not going to read the text. It's a very long text. It's verses 1 through verse number 14. But I find this text to be a great missionary story. And why do I say that? Because essentially, here's what we find out. Here's what we learn in this story. Something was given to someone in order that some other's need might be met. Let me say that again. The gist of this story, the essence of this story is that something was given to someone in order that some others might benefit. Folks, that's missions. That's missions. We give of what we have and we give it to the master. <laughs> and the master takes it and divides it and provides it in order that the multitude might be fed. We give our love offerings in order, dearly beloved, that the master might take that. And in this story, the master didn't give it to the people, to the multitude. The master gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitude. We give it to him, he gives it back to us in order that we might give it to them. Dearly beloved, that's the heart of missions. That is the heart of how missions functions. That is the heart of how missions works. And as I look at this story, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, I see missions in it. You know, I preach about 
15 to 20 missions conferences a year. And I don't want to just preach the same messages all the time, so I'm constantly asking the Lord to open my eyes and let me see missions where I need to see it. And as I've been doing that, it seems like, dearly beloved, I'm seeing missions on every page. And I don't even have to practice the art or the lack of art of imposition, but exposition. I see missions in this story. And the reason why I see missions in this story is this story contains all the components of missions. Number one, you'll see tonight that in this text that this story contains the master in missions. The master in missions. As a matter of fact, dearly beloved, this story wouldn't even exist if Jesus didn't come along. The outcome of this story would have never happened if Jesus wasn't there. But we see the master in missions all the way through this text. I won't take the time to read it, but we see him in verse 1. We see him in verse 3. We see him in verse 5. We see him in verse 10. We see him in verse 11. And we see him in verse 14. He is all through this story And he's mentioned by name. Not only do we see the master in missions, but in this story we see the multitude in missions. John, in his gospel, in probably the greatest missions verse in the Bible, said, For God so loved the world. Who is the the multitude tonight, folks? The multitude is the world. It is the vast populace of this world that was born in sin. They're spiritually hungry and don't even know it. And only Jesus can provide the satisfying elements that they need. While we see the multitude all over this text, we see it mentioned directly in verse number 2, verse number 5, and verse number 10. But there's a third component to missions here, and that is the men in missions. The men in missions. Probably other than the multitude, the thing that Jesus focused on the most in this story was these men. And who are these men? These men are his disciples. It's evident, dearly beloved, that they didn't see missions the way Jesus did. (laughs) And so the Lord yields an attitude adjustment, especially in Andrew and Philip. He deals with their attitudes. As a matter of fact, at one point, we know that Jesus asked Philip a question because he already knew what he would say. He knew that Philip didn't see this situation like he did, so he asked this question to provoke him, to bring it out. Not so he could embarrass Philip, but so he could teach him a lesson. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him. And he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And then look at this observation in verse 6. And this he said to prove him. For he himself knew what he would do. You see, Philip was too busy taking out his Texas Instruments calculator and adding this thing up, and it just didn't add up. And Jesus, essentially what Jesus told him is, throw your calculator, you don't throw it away, you don't need it, I'm here. I transcend the calculator. 
<laughs> I transcend the treasury. I transcend the operating fund and the missions fund. I transcend everything you have. I'm just bigger. I'm bigger. The men in missions. Who are the men in missions? It's the church. It's the believers. It's the disciples. It's us. And you know, missions surely won't work without the master. <laughs> There'd be no missions without the multitude. <laughs> and dearly beloved, God has chosen to get missions done through men. He's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those that are lost. But then there's the means in mission. The means in mission, that's verse 9. And that's where he says, Behold, there's a lad here. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves. And the key word is the word hath. The word hath. We don't give out of what we dream about. We don't give out of what we wish we had. We give out of what we have. And then look what it says. Five barley loaves and two. Boy, what love the way the Holy Ghost emphasizes words. You see, the Lord's fixing to perform a miracle here. So he uses numbers, number one, five barley loaves, 5,000 people. Does that add up? And then he says two small fishes, probably about the size of those anchovies in your, <laughs> in various meats that you buy in these Asian restaurants. Maybe as Ronnie Barefoot would say, a minner. A minner, I don't know, but two small fishes. Brother Olaf used to sing, In the harvest field now ripen, There's a work for all to do. God is great if he is in it To the harvest calling you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. Well, there's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Just a little lad, just a little lunch, but a whole lot of Lord goes a long way. <laughs> Amen. Woo, to God be the glory. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Amen. Don't worry, church. It's going to get bad in America. Things are about to get real bad, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I'm grateful tonight that little is much. So we see, here it is, the master in missions, the multitude in missions, the men in missions. We see the men in verse 5, 7, 8, 11, and 12. The means in mission, we see it in verse 9, 11, 12, 13, and 14. We could also call it the miracle in missions. Any of you churches that support missions, you see miracles every month. You see miracles every month by what your people who are willing to step out on faith do when you know that, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. Now, that's the synopsis of this text. And that's how I see missions in this text. I don't have time to preach this whole text. I don't have time to preach these points, but I want to focus on the multitude tonight. 
Because really, this is the heart of the missions. You see, in this story, this is what the Lord has shown me. This is what I've learned. To, to these disciples, this story is all about Jesus. We see that in verse 14. When he says, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And rightfully so, it ought to be all about Jesus. Because without him, we can do nothing. (laughs) But to Jesus, it was all about the multitude. It was the multitude that motivated God to send his son into this world. It was the multitude that motivated the Son of God to lay aside the robes of equality and descend the stairway of time and come into a human body and live a meager human life without sin in order that he might step on the banks of the Jordan River one day only to hear John say, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. It was all about the multitude. Jesus died for the multitude. For this hour he came into the world for the multitude. And we could say in John three sixteen, For God so loved the multitude. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. (coughs) In highlighting and preaching this multitude in missions tonight, I want to magnify four truths about sinners that motivated our Lord to do what he did. I mean, we must ask ourselves the question. If this story is all about the multitude to Jesus, why does the multitude mean so much to Jesus? Well, there's basically four thoughts, and I'll give them to you, then we'll enhance upon them, and we'll be done tonight, and we'll go back here and eat whatever is provided. I'm sure it probably won't be five barley loaves and two small fishes. But I would tell you this tonight. If Jesus hadn't quit dividing those barley loaves and fishes, that's probably exactly what we would be eating tonight. Why does the multitude mean so much to Jesus? Well, number one, they're lost. They were lost. They were lost, and I'll show you why here in just a moment. Jesus loves lost people. Jesus loves and cares for Adam's fallen race. It is our lost condition to which our Heavenly Father sent His Son into this world. And know this tonight. None of us come into this world saved. Nobody is born into this world saved. We all come into this world lost and depraved. And nothing short of the grace of God can change. But not only did Jesus care about this multitude because they were lost. And boy, that ought to stir a desire in our hearts tonight. But Jesus cared about this multitude because they were languishing. They were languishing. In other words, they were in a position at this time where they could not help themselves. (coughs) It's getting late. 
There were no local Walmarts for them to go and buy food. There was a chance that if they didn't eat then, they would not eat that night. They were languishing. They were weak. They were in a condition where they could not help themselves. When I think of that, I think of our Lord's prophetic words from the cross of Calvary. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In other words, Lord, they don't know any better. They can't help themselves. Sometimes we wonder why people live the way that they live. We ask ourselves the question, don't they know any better? Let me answer that. They don't know any better. They're lost and blind, dearly beloved. They are languishing. They cannot help themselves. Evidently, Stephen took that to heart because as the stones bounced off his body outside the sheep's gate in the city of Jerusalem, Stephen prayed the same prayer. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge for they don't know what they're doing. They don't. Sinners cannot help themselves. Sinners Sin because they're sinners and they can't stop it without the grace of God. They need the bread of life and God has designed that you and I give it to them. You know, when you read this text, and I mentioned this a moment ago, let me say it again. Jesus could have given this bread, this fish to these people himself. He didn't. He gave it to his disciples. And the disciples gave it to them. Can I say tonight, God has put missions in the hand of the church. God has put missions in our hands. And if we fail in this regard, their blood will be required at our hands. Send the light. The gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Traverse the continents and the seas. Traverse this world and preach the glorious message. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. They may not all hear it. As a matter of fact, as I said, more of them won't hear it. They won't listen to it. But we do not do what we do based upon the response of the lost masses. We do what we do because we love Jesus Christ and we're commanded to do it. When you get to heaven, the Lord's not going to say, how many souls did you win? (laughs) He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? So there, this multitude meant so much to Jesus because they were lost, they were languishing, they were looking. They were looking. They evidently weren't satisfied with their situation because when they heard Jesus was in the region, what did they do? They left their houses, they left where they were, and they went to where Jesus was. There's a famous country song that says, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. That pretty much epitomizes even the spiritual world that we live in. People are looking for love. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for peace in the bottom of an alcoholic bottle or a drug needle, sexual pleasure, or even just pleasure in general. And they're not finding it. That's why they keep looking because they're never satisfied and they're not going to find it till Jesus finds them. 
It is only when Jesus finds them that they'll find what they're looking for. And they're not looking for a what. They don't know it. They're looking for a who. But then lastly, they were loved. (laughs) I wish I could say the disciples loved them. But you know, when I look at the disciples, I really see a reflection of us. And I wonder how much we really love sinners when we say the things we say about them from time to time. Jesus doesn't look at it that way. But I'll tell you who did love them. Jesus loved them. I come across people all the time that say, Oh, Brother Mark, you just don't know my family. My, My mother and my daddy didn't love me and my brothers and sisters didn't love me. I've never known love. i got good news for you tonight. Let me tell you who does love you. And he did so from the foundation of this world. Our great God loves you. In his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, 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 Jesus loves me. That's the message. Let me enhance upon it a bit. They were lost. Their lostness can be seen in the fact, number one, they were blind in their sight. They could not see. You see, they came to Jesus for the wrong reason. Number Verse number two says they came because they saw the miracles that he did. They saw the miracles that he did. But not only that, look in verse number look in verse number 36. Look in verse 36 of this chapter. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 6 verse 36. He said, "But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. Believe not." Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. They were more concerned about their gut than they were their soul. And folk, I'm not just talking about a selective few. I'm talking about all of us. That's the way all of us were before the grace of God. But I'm glad in spite of that that Jesus loved me. Amen. And he came down my path and came my way and he offered me the bread of life. I didn't have to eat it, but thank God. God, he offered it. I feasted upon it. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. Amen. He invites his chosen people, come and dine. Their lostness can be seen in the blindness of their sight. They were spiritually blind. They came to Jesus to see the miracles. They came to Jesus to eat the food, but they did not come to Jesus for soul salvation because they saw what their real need was. It wasn't physical hunger, nor was it physical sickness. Their real need was spiritual. Spiritual. Their real need was spiritual blindness. Their real need, dearly beloved, was spiritual food and spiritual holiness. And that can only be found in the person of the Son of God. The 
that their lostness can not only be seen in the blindness of their sight, but their lostness can be seen in the boundness of their sin. They were literally bound in their sin. You see, this same crowd, dearly beloved, that was with Jesus in Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee, this whole chapter 6 involves this same crowd following him from Tiberias to Capernaum. And on, on the side of Tiberias, they saw the miracle. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. They get over to Capernaum and they follow him there. Jesus has piqued their interest. And when they get there, he gives them a discourse in the bread of life. <laughs> and what do they do? They rejected it and they turned and walked with him no more. Said this morning, and I want to say again, just because sinners reject the gospel doesn't mean that the Lord is not there. It doesn't mean that he hasn't worked. Sometimes we judge the Lord's presence and whether or not the Lord is worked by the results that we see and by the response. I'm here to tell you, he's just as much there when a sinner responds negatively as he does when he responds positively. They heard this discourse on bread, and look what happens. John chapter 6, <coughs> the end of the chapter. I love what he says in verse number 64. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. There's no use in you trying to smoke screen God. He sees through it. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father. Look at this. After hearing this, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They were following him with their heads but not their hearts. And when they didn't hear what they wanted to hear, they left. They were bound by their sin. What created that circumstance? A fallen, depraved, sinful nature. That's what created that circumstance. It's more powerful than you and I even understand. Here's how Paul verbalized it. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world, the devil, hath blinded their minds, lest they should hear the glorious gospel of Christ and be saved. They may hear it here, but they're not hearing it here. Brother, this is why Jesus cared about this multitude. They were lost. That's why we ought to send the Shane Andrews, the Kent LeBoves, the Caleb Gutierrezes. That's why we ought to send these missionaries to these fields far and wide to reap, to sow down our fields and scatter the seed hoping that some soil being good might bring forth fruit to the glory of God. You say, why, preacher? Because they're lost and they cannot help themselves. Why? I think of the eunuch of Ethiopia. He had been to Jerusalem for to worship. Evidently, while he was there, somebody slipped him a scroll. Just happened to be the gospel according to Isaiah. <laughs> and he's reading it. 
And Philip approaches the chariot and said, do you understand what you're reading? He makes a classic statement, folks, that illustrates his point. How can I except some man should show me? That's why Jesus cared about this multitude. They were lost. They were languishing. They were languishing. That word languishing means they had no strength. It was getting late in the day. They had had nothing to eat, and they were growing weak. Paul referenced this in the book of Romans, that great doctrinal treatise to the church. Paul, Paul spoke very clearly about the languishing condition of a sinner. I love what he said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. Boy, chapter 5 nails down by grace and through faith. And Paul says, when we were yet without strength, <laughs> Christ died for us when we could not help ourselves. We could not do anything about it. Thank God his son stepped into the picture and did all that we needed. He gave us the sustenance, the strength, his presence, his meat, his bread. In order. Boy, you ought to shout on that one tonight. And thank God for that tonight. It's all because of him. <laughs> when we were yet without strength. These people were languishing. All sinners are languishing. They cannot help themselves. They have nothing within them to affect a change of their life, to satisfy their soul. They've tried everything. They've tried liquor. They've tried alcohol. They've tried drugs. They've tried pleasure. They've tried sports. They've tried everything that this world has to offer. And you know what? They can't stop looking. You say, why? Because none of that satisfies. The only thing that satisfies is Jesus. Now, Mark's account in chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, also gives description to this account of the feeding of the 5,000. And there's two verses that really magnify or two verses that really bolster this idea of languishing. There's two reasons why. They were in this condition. Number one, the lateness of the hour. The lateness of the hour. In verse number 35, it said the even was come. There in Mark chapter 6, verse 35, it was getting late. In other words, if they didn't get bread there, Brother Kevin, they wouldn't eat that night because it was a long way back home. You know, here in America, we get in a car and we go to church. Distances of no consequence and I live in the city of Houston everybody drives an hour for everything why well, they got an outer loop around Houston now it's called the Grand Parkway if you drive around the city of Houston it'll take you two hours going 65 mile an hour distance is nothing but when I was in India in 2005 and I preached in the province of Manipur that is being burned down right now and suffering terrible persecution Dr. C.V. John was my host, and I preached there, and his interpreter came in to me every night, and he would say, now, Brother Mark, what are you preaching tonight? Give me your outline. And he'd begin to write it in the Mar tongue. 
Hamar is a tribe there in Manipur. He would write it down, and as I'd preach, he'd preach in Hamar exactly what I was saying in English. And here's what he told me. He said, now, dear brother, you must preach an hour and a half. Wouldn't you preachers love that if your people said, now, now we expect you to preach an hour and a half this morning, Brother David, Brother Chris, and the rest of you. We expect you to preach an hour. That's what they told me, Kevin. You must preach an hour and a half. If you preach an hour and a half, the other gentlemen will preach an hour and a half. That'll be three hours of preaching. That'll justify the fact that some of these people have walked 15 and 20 miles over the mountains come to this meeting tonight. The lateness of the hour. Let me tell you something. People are without strength all over the world. There's sinners who can't help themselves. And folks, the hour is getting late. The day is at hand, Paul said in Romans 13. The night cometh when man can work no more. The day is coming when we will preach our last sermon. The day is coming when we will come to the church for the last time. And yet people all around this world are lost and languishing. They're dying and going to hell. And the window to preach to them is quickly closing. But not only the lack the lateness of the hour, but the lack of sustenance. It said in verse 36, they had nothing to eat. And I'm here to tell you there's no government program that's going to suffice this. There's no election, no politician that's going to suffice this. I remember in Mexico, and I've spent a lot of time in Mexico, a good part of my life there. I remember when there was a president, Jose, Jose Lo, Lopez Portillo. I remember when he was running for the office of president of Mexico, he promised a tortilla for every table. Well, number one, none of them ever keep their promises, whether it's in Mexico or America. And I got news for you. We need more than a tortilla on every table. We need five loaves and two fishes that have left the hands of Jesus. We need the gospel. We need the truth. That's what sinners need. There's a lack of preaching. There's countries in the 1040 window tonight that have no Bible in their language, no preacher, no church. And yet Jesus said, go into all the world. You know, I did a word study on that phrase. You know what it means? Go into all the world. <laughs> and preach the gospel to every creature. They were lost. They were languishing. They were looking. They were looking. And, of course, this can be seen, first of all, in their movements to Christ. Evidently, they weren't satisfied with what they had because when they heard that Jesus was in the house, they came to him. <coughs> Matter of fact, in verse number 2, it says they followed him. Verse number 5, <coughs> it says they came to him. And in verse number 24, when they saw that the disciples and the Lord were no longer in Tiberias, that they had taken a boat and gone over to Capernaum, you know what they did? They got in a boat and went over there too. <laughs> I said, why, preacher? Because they weren't satisfied. They weren't fulfilled. 
I don't know what kind of houses they had. I don't know what their income was. I don't know what materialism they had, what their sustenance was. But whatever they had, it didn't satisfy them. Just the presence of Jesus packed their interest. Can I say tonight, dearly beloved, all the sin that is running rampant in this country comes from the fact that man within himself, no matter what he does, where he goes, no matter what he engages in, he'll never satisfy himself. And this world will never satisfy them. The only thing that satisfies is a resident son of God in our hearts. They were looking. And this can be seen in their movements to Christ. People are looking tonight. We may not know it. We may not recognize it. They may not even come into the church, but there's people out there in the world, they're watching you. And maybe God has used you to pack an interest in their life. Maybe God has used you and they see the peace you have and the joy you have. They see the victory you have and the power that's yours in Jesus. Their pride won't let them admit it, friend, but they're watching you tonight. And ultimately, it'll either bring them to you or it'll bring them to church. Or it'll bring them to a circumstance where you have to come into the picture. And they're just waiting for somebody to tell them, hey, that won't satisfy you. There's only one thing that'll satisfy you, and that's the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Their looking can be seen in their movements to Christ. Their looking can be seen in their mention to Christ. Their mention to Christ. Look what it says here, verse 34 of chapter 6. Jesus is giving them a discourse on the bread of life. And look at verse 34. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now, they didn't really want it because they had every chance and they walked away from it. It's kind of like the rich young ruler. He came to Christ and he asked all the right questions. Why, in most of our Baptist churches, if somebody asked that question, we would put their name on a membership card, baptize them, and put them in a Sunday school class. What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus saw deeper than his words. Jesus saw that his heart wasn't really intent upon truth. So Jesus told him, go and sell what you've got. Jesus really hit the problem. It's not that he had treasures. Treasures had him. And friend, I'm telling you, our God is a jealous God. He'll share his glory with nobody. He's not going to live in a duplex. <laughs> and these people said, forevermore, give us this bread. You know why they were looking? Whatever they had didn't satisfy them. Folks, this world is full of people like that tonight. In Iran tonight, they've had Islam for the course of their history. They're Ishmaelites. They come from the seed of Ishmael. And we hear about that in the book of Genesis. Abraham's seed by disobedience. We've been paying for that one ever since. You know, I had no idea when I was growing up and the Cold War was going on. I had no I always thought it'd be Russia that would one day try to dominate the world. I never thought of China. But I'm here to tell you, I never knew the part that Islam would play. But it makes sense. God said that he'll be a wild man and no man can contain him. And that's what we see today. But isn't it amazing? 
Jesus loves Iranians too. Jesus loves Ishmaelites like he loves the seed of Isaac. Isn't it amazing that tonight in Iran, there are churches being built underground. Nobody knows about them except maybe the government. They'll probably suffer persecution. Many of them are leaving as refugees and going to other countries, fleeing the persecution. People are being saved right under the nose of Islam. And you know what's doing it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Somewhere, somewhere along the way. You heard what Brother Andrew said tonight. That one Farsi-speaking gentleman who was a Muslim who came to that meeting. I'm hoping to see some of this. Who came to that meeting to hear the gospel said, I want you to know that I have been reading the book of Psalms. Isn't that amazing? Well, Jesus is in Psalms too. <laughs> That's what he told those disciples on the road to Emmaus. He opened the book of Psalms and showed him the things concerning himself. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to that boy's heart, and he said, I want to be baptized. I hope he asked him the question, before I do this, do you believe with all your heart like Philip did? Do you believe with all your heart? And then I'll close with this. They were loved. (laughs) There's never been a sinner born that Jesus didn't love. God does not love. In spite of their rebellion, in spite of their open obstinance, in spite of the fact that they're going their own way, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone into our own way. And yet, my friend, God does not love us because of ourselves. He loves us in spite of ourselves. Woo! Thank God tonight, I'm glad God loved me when I couldn't even love myself, when others didn't love me. I'm so glad Jesus loves me. I love to hear that Stephen Phillips song. Thank you for saving me, giving me your love so free. Oh, I'm glad Jesus loves me. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to say these disciples didn't love them at all, but they're kind of like us. They got a lot to learn. They got a lot. They need some adjustments in their heart. But I'm going to tell you who never falls short and fails. And that's our Lord. He loves. And I'm going to tell you something. God loves the world tonight. God loves the mass of humanity. God loves mankind. He loves homosexuals. He He doesn't love homosexuality. But he loves homosexuals. He loves Jews and Gentiles. He loves Arabs. He loves Australians. He loves South Americans, Latinos. He loves Canadians. He even loves Americans. (laughs) Well, Joseph Hoverman will tell you he loves Slovaks. We got a guy in our church, Bob Beasley. He's ever more the jokester. I'll never forget this, and this really has nothing to do with the message. I just want to tell you. Bob walked up to him and said, Joseph, if you're reaching the slow box, who's reaching the fast box? (laughs) 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 Joseph will tell you he loves the slow box, the Czechs, the Slavic-speaking people, the Poles, the Russians. He loves them all, and I'm going to tell you something. He loved them so much that he did something about it. He left his world and came into our world. He took a body like ours and lived a sinless life. 
And for this hour, he came so he could cry from the cross of Calvary, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then he gave up the ghost and cried, it is finished, it is finished, the telestai, it is done. There's two reasons why I can see Jesus loves this multitude. Number one, because they had his attention. There's a phrase here in verse number five that really just grips my heart. Look what it says. And when when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, look at this, and saw a great company. Isn't that amazing? He saw them before they ever saw him. (laughs) He knew me. Yet he loved me when he was on the cross. I was on his mind. He looked down the telescope of time and he saw Mark Thrift and he loved me. He loved you, Kevin. He loved you, David. He loved you. He saw them. Brother, he saw deeper than their faces. He saw into their hearts. He saw what they needed. He knew what they needed. And they not only had his attention, they had his affection. Because in that same verse, he says, Okay, fellas. (laughs) What are we going to do about this? You know, what are we going to do? Here's what he said. Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat let me tell you how he he gave them his affection or how they had his affection in mark's gospel the disciples you know what the disciples are saying send them away send them away it kind of reminds me of some of our baptist churches send them away too much trouble we don't have time we've got lives to live <laughs> In John's gospel, Jesus said, no, don't send them away. Sit them down. I'm going to feed them. I'm glad I had his attention one day. And I now have his affection, brother. He still feeds me, Kevin. I got to tell you, you got to go on. I got to give you another funny here. You got to go on YouTube. There's a guy named Brian whatever. And he's written a song. I don't know if he's from Texas or where he's from. Sounds like he's from Texas, but he sings a song called My Dog. I think my dog's a Democrat. Look it up. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up. It's Brian somebody. I think my dog's a Democrat. You'll laugh your head off. It's so true, it's funny. And he says, you know, he said, I pay for his health care and I feed him every day. And he never lifts a leg. He said, but if he ever says anything about my guns, I'm going to have to put him down. I love it, man. I love it. I laugh at it and love it. I've played it for 20 preachers. Truth is, that's what you and I were. We were spiritually bankrupt and broke, and we could not help ourselves. And guess who fed us? Guess who stepped out of the clouds of glory and stepped into our meager existence? And whether you're Democrat or Republican, he loves you. He loves you. 
That's why missions is going to work. That's why it works. And this is a great missionary story. All of you and I are a part of this story. And I trust that in the course of this conference, after Brother Ken preaches the next three nights and Brother Kevin preaches on faith, promise, and grace giving next Sunday morning, that this church, that the members of this church will stand up and step forth and say, give me some of that bread and give me some of that fish. There's a bunch of people that need to eat. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's stand. Brother Greg, you come. Now, I've talked a little bit about the master. I've talked about the multitude. I've talked about the means, but we're the men. We're the men. I don't have time to preach it. I wish I did. I'll tell you what, dearly beloved, God didn't need these men, but he chose to use these men. And this story is as much a lesson for these men as it is anybody else or any conference. There's a lesson in here for us. And I trust that the Holy Spirit has spoke that lesson to our hearts tonight. That God wants you and I involved in the ministry of missions. Feed a hunger. And I trust tonight we'll have open ears and hearts to listen and that we'll respond in kind. There are some here tonight, maybe God wants you to go. Maybe God wants you to sell everything you've got and go like a Shane Andrews and a Kent LeBeau. Maybe he does. There'd be no greater blessing for this church, honestly, folks. And I say this based on the experience of our own church. There'd be no greater blessing than this church than for somebody in this church to get a burden and to become obedient to the mind and the will of God and say, what Isaiah said, Lord, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. Send me. There's some of you tonight, you may never go, but let me ask you something. How much do you care? How much do you really pray with a broken for the lost of this world. The Bible teaches us that we should. Jesus prayed over the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered thee, but you would not come with a broken heart. We can't make a sinner come to Christ. We pray for them. And how about this matter of giving? How shall they call on him in whom they've not heard, believe? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Father, bless your word. Speak to our hearts and effect a change in us all. Lord, help us to get in gear tonight. In the missionary movement of God. We'll be careful to give you all the thanks and praise, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Brother Kevin.